some of you know this about me, some of you may not, I love fly fishing. And uh, it's one of my favorite ways to get outside, to get away from Wi-Fi and screens and emails and people, and to just be in nature. Um, there are a ton of places just within a short drive from my house that I can go and stand in the middle of a river and not even know that I'm uh, anywhere near civilization. And it's really uh, therapeutic for me. Um, I, love, I love doing this. And so one of the things I think is really cool, you might not, one of the things I think is really cool about fly fishing is that there are a lot of different ways, a lot of different methods and gear that you can use to catch the same types of fish in the same types of waters even. I can use dry flies to float on top of the water. They imitate little mosquitoes and stuff that, that float on the water to catch fish. I can use streamers that imitate crayfish or bait fish and they go you know, near the riverbed. I can use different types of rods that you know, I cast differently to uh, throw these different types of lures. And so um, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is that the tackle that I use, the gear and the rod that I use, will determine the method that I use to catch fish. If I use the gear I have incorrectly, it, it, the fish aren't fooled and they uh, ignore my stuff, which happens probably more often than not. Similarly, as Christians, and actually as people in general, we have a set of beliefs and values. Uh, we have been given things that we've learned or come to believe or whatever that uh, dictate the way we live. We make choices based on what we believe is most important, uh, what we value. And what you have as a person causes you to live in a certain way. It causes you to make certain decisions. And so this morning, I want you to think of the set of beliefs and values you have, like the tackle you have, and your lifestyle or the decisions you make as uh, you know, the technique in which you use that gear. Hebrews 10 19 to 25 shows us that as Christians, Jesus has given us something very important that frames the way we live. He's given us confidence. And this confidence has to change the way we live for Christ. If, if it doesn't, there is some soul work that needs to happen because we're not using the tackle we've been given in the correct way. And so without further ado, let's dig into God's word and see what he has for us this morning. I want to read uh, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the big idea. What we have because of Jesus, changes how we live for Jesus. What we have changes the way we live. Our tackle determines our technique. And so the question then becomes, well, what do we have? Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence 
to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We've been given confidence in Christ. And confidence to do what? Confidence to enter, as he says here, the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So what? Um, if you remember, to enter the holy places, or in other words, uh, you know, confidence to approach God in prayer and worship. And so, if you remember the last time I preached on Leviticus, it was the story of Nadab and Abihu who entered the tabernacle carelessly. They tried to approach God carelessly, and they died for it. And the holy places that the author of Hebrews is talking about here are the innermost rooms of the tabernacle and later the temple where God's presence was manifest in a special way. They were separated from the rest of the tabernacle by a curtain. And nobody was allowed to enter this room except for the high priest of Israel once a year on the Day of Atonement. And even he needed to go through a cleansing ritual process uh, to enter the holy places without dying. This was a very sacred room that was not come and go as he pleased. It was highly restricted. And why? Because God's presence was there. All people are sinful because of Adam's sinful nature being passed down to all of us. And God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so the holy places were as close as one could get to the Lord in a post uh, post-Eden world. He, it was where he was. Direct, unadulterated communion with the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the healer and sustainer and ruler of everything that we know. And so to be in the holy places was to be with God like you're with your family right now. Except the restrictions around being in the holy places made this a very rare, highly exclusive occurrence. This kind of relationship with the Lord would never be experienced by like 99.99999% of God's chosen people. And so now, back to Hebrews, what, what is the author of Hebrews talking about here? He's saying that Jesus has changed all of that. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. We have confidence to enter these same holy places, unlike Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament. But why? How? Well, he says right there, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And so, what does that mean? The curtain here in verse 20 is the very same curtain that separated the holy places from the rest of the tabernacle. And so he, uh, through his death, opened that up for us. But what's all this stuff about, you know, his blood and his flesh? It's kind of, you know, gross, gory terminology. And fortunately, uh, Matthew 27 records the actual event uh, that the author of Hebrews is talking about here. And I'll just uh, read a few verses from that chapter for you. Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God. 
why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it in a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the uncomfortable record of the greatest event in all of human history. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, was born to earth, lived a perfect life, and was put to death on a cross, rejected by God the Father, treated like he was one of the rebellious sinners that executed him, all so that the otherwise insurmountable debt that sin demanded would be paid in full in order to tear that impassable curtain separating God from the people he loved, from you and from me. Christ's death, his blood, has torn down the barrier between the common and the holy places. And you know, you know what really gets me is, is that the only reason the curtain had to be there in the first place is because of the very same humanity that murdered their savior. There was no curtain in Eden. There was no barrier between Adam and Eve and God. There weren't rules around how often they could be with him. They didn't need a priest to talk to him. There was no curtain. But because of Christ's blood spilled for you and for me, the tearing of that curtain is a step in, re in, in the return to Eden, a step in the return to restoration, to harmony, to peace, to perfection. And so now, because of the blood of Jesus, the curtain is torn. Uh, but there's a very, uh, another very important piece to this restoration puzzle. So read verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. This right here, this is why we can be confident to approach God, because we have a great priest, Jesus over us, interceding and mediating for us to God. Oh, wait, you just said the curtain was torn. It's a return to Eden, isn't it? Adam and Eve didn't need a priest. Why do we need one if the curtain's been torn? The barrier's gone. Here's why. Because we aren't back in Eden yet. Yes, Christ's death has changed everything about how people can be in relationship with God, but we still need him as our priest mediating between us and God the Father because we are sinful and he is perfect. You know, the world is still broken. Look around you. It's not perfect by any means. The entire point of the holy places in the tabernacle was to keep sin out, and we still sin. In Christ and only in Christ, we're made sinless. In Christ, our identity is, is transformed from sinner to saint. But we're still saints who sin. And so because of this, we need Jesus as our high priest. And the amazing thing is that he's not, he's not just any priest. You know, he's not Nadab and Abihu. He's not like any other priest before him. And he's not like any other priest since. He is a great 
priest over the entire house of God. He is perfect. He will never allow this newfound direct access to God to slip away. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. He's holy. He never changes. He lived and died to do exactly this, to act as our great priest in this step towards Eden. He is our great high priest. And we as believers are his underpriests. I talked a little bit about that last time I preached as well. The priesthood of a believers. We are the underpriests who will proclaim this glory throughout the world. God's presence is no longer just restricted to the high priest once a year. But instead, he can be accessed at any time by the entire priesthood of believers because of the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin and makes us holy in the eyes of God the Father. And so let's just put this all together. Sin separates us from being in close relationship with God. And so Christ lived and died in our place. His body was broken as the curtain was torn. Where the curtain once acted as a barrier, now stands Jesus as our great priest, making a way for us to talk to God at any time, anywhere, for any reason. And because of this, we can have confidence to approach God in prayer and worship and faith, knowing that uh, he will always hear us. No, these things are are so normal for us now, but they're, uh, we take them for granted. But, you know, they're otherwise impossible without this almost unfathomable sacrifice that Christ made. Christ, the perfect Son of God, mediating on our behalf. And this is truly good news. So what do we have? We have confidence because of Jesus. Confidence to enter the holy places to be with God. So this is our tackle. This is what we've been given as Christians. We've been given the confidence uh, to approach the Lord. This is how we live our lives. And so um, remember the big idea. What we have, confidence, because of Jesus, changes how we live for Jesus. So let's move on to the technique, the lifestyle. How does all of this theology translate into real-world living for us? Well, let's read on. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there are three let us's in this section. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so each of them is a key ingredient in living a healthy relationship that we've been given or that we've been given access to by Jesus' blood. The first one, the first let us is in verse 22. We need to draw near to our God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So what does this mean? Well, really he's, he's um, emphasizing the outcome of our confidence. We can be confident 
to draw near to the Lord in full assurance of faith. We can be fully assured, we're confident that when drawing near to the Lord because of Jesus, he won't turn us away. And we should draw near. You know, it's, it's necessary for him to uh, point out here that we have to draw near. Um, because it's very possible to be a Christ follower, to have been given this confidence given to us, uh, to know that we have Christ as our great priest interceding for us, and we still don't take advantage of it. We can have the tackle but not use it. There's a phrase uh, in this verse that I almost passed over when I, when I first began studying this passage. It's the, the words evil conscience, or you, or you could say guilty conscience. How many times have you wanted to talk to God but felt too guilty to do so? Uh, I've got to put more time in, in my sin before I can ask him to forgive me. I'm too angry at him right now. Once, once I calm down, then I'll talk to God. I've done so many bad things in my past. He would never want to hear from me. Listen to me. All those are lies. The devil has been telling lies like that ever since the first sin when Adam and Eve hid from God. Instead of running to him after they disobeyed, you don't need to put time between you and your sin before drawing near to him. You don't need to be completely joyful before drawing near. And you don't need a perfect record before drawing near. Jesus Christ died and tore down that curtain so that anyone, at any time, for any reason, in any stage of life, could go to God confident that he will respond to them you don't, even, you don't need to be a Christian before going to him. In fact, you don't even need to be sure he's real. What you do need to be is willing to go to him. And now Christians get the benefit of being in an actual relationship, actually having this confidence because of the blood of Jesus, washing their sin and making them righteous in the eyes of God to go to him in confidence. But you don't need to have your whole life sorted out and the Bible memorized and a perfect moral credit score before going to God. Just go to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to show himself to you. Ask him for peace. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. Commit your life to him. There's nothing that you need to bring because everything that you need is already being offered to you in the death of Christ and his resurrection. You just need to reach out and take it. So Christian, be honest with yourself. Did you take advantage of the fact that this week you were able to draw near to the Lord with confidence, knowing that your heart has been sprinkled clean like it says here, like your soul purified? Did you draw near to God this week or did you let work and chores and Netflix take up your time? Did you spend time in his word to truly seek God? Or was it just to check off the to-do list? Did you pursue deep relationship with your Savior? Or was watching the hockey game maybe a bit higher on your priority? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm preaching this more to myself than anyone else. But 
think about it, we have the indescribable privilege to draw near to the king of the universe, the almighty creator God who is more holy, more beautiful, more powerful, more loving than anything else in existence. And, you know, (laughs) we choose Instagram and iPhones and idleness over that. The holy places have become so accessible to us that instead of incessantly falling to our knees in the presence of an incredible God, we have fallen in love with anything else that we find more interesting at the moment. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The next let us, we need to cling to our hope. And so this one is is about perseverance. Hold fast to our confession of hope. Well, what is our confession of hope? We should know what it is before we hold fast to it. Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our confession of hope is that Jesus is Lord and that he is alive. We've talked a lot today about what his death has done for us, but that's not it. He didn't stay dead. If he stayed dead, then we're singing to a dead guy every week, and that's it. But God raised him from the dead, meaning that he has authority, he has victory over even death itself. And a dead man cannot give us eternal life. But an eternal God can. And so our hope is in the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead. And as Christians, that's our confession of hope. And now we have to hold on to that because that's the only hope we have. There's nothing else to trust in anyways. We need to make sure that we're putting our hope in that confession that Jesus is Lord and that he is alive. And not putting our hope in our job security or our family structure or our sense of self-worth. And the list goes on. Our hope is in Jesus, our living Lord. Why? Because, verse 22, verse 23, he who promised is faithful. He has made a promise to us that he is alive and that he will return. And we can have confidence in that. The last let us is in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christianity is not just between you and Jesus. We need to be together to, as it says here, Stir up one another to love and good works. And if there's ever been a time where the need for community has been made clear, it's right now in the middle of a stay-at-home order. We need each other. Right from the very beginning, God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for him to be alone. And we were made for each other. Stir up one another to love and good works. And so something that has been really encouraging to me recently is 
that so many people in this church have totally embodied this idea over the past few weeks. Our church family has really rallied together to provide uh, meals and cards to you know families that need it. My freezer right now is overflowing with meals as proof, and I know I'm not alone. And so thank you to every single person that cooked meals, that wrote cards, etc., for other people in our church. It's really amazing to be a part of this. Jesus has given us so much. How can we not give to our church family, to our community, when we see a way that we can be of service? Finally, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to be together. Uh, this, this verse in particular, verse 25, has been the source of some contention over the past year, uh, and I would be lying to you if I said I was looking forward to preaching this verse in particular. What does it neglect to, or what does it mean to neglect meeting together? Are online services in violation of this verse? Well, obviously there are some differing views on this. Firstly, I would hope that all of us agree that being in person is way better than watching a service from your home. Is this right now, what we're doing right now, is this ideal? No, it's not even close. It's not even close to real, in-person, direct eye contact, church gatherings where we can see each other and hear each other sing and pray for one another and hug each other. It's not even close. And it's already been said a few times this morning. I hope this is true for all of us that I long to be together with you. This is, this is not what we want. We want to be together as a church family, but uh, you know, are there valid reasons to temporarily suspend services? Well, our church leadership has said yes, and that's okay. We should never fall into the trap of neglecting to meet together, though, just because it's easier to stay at home. It's a lot more convenient, you know, wear our PJs on the couch and have a cup of coffee in our hand and a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios in our lap than to get up earlier, to get showered, to get dressed, to rally our families into the car and drive all the way out to this building in the middle of a field where we meet. There's definitely a convenience factor to this. But we're commanded to not neglect this church family because it's not just between me and Jesus. We need to be together encouraging each other in person as we await the return of our King. And yeah, there are some differing views on what that actually looks like. But uh, to broaden our horizons just a little bit, as absolutely crucial as the church gathering is, and as much as I can't wait to never preach to a camera again, it's not the only part of being in the church. I just talked about how we've cared for each other uh, with meals and cards. We still need to be sharing the gospel with the people in our lives. We still need to be influencing each other in our culture to Christ-likeness. And I'm encouraged, too, that every time we've been able to meet, the vast majority of our church is here almost every single week. That's a good thing. It's good to be together, and I 
you know, it's obvious that we believe that. And so I would urge you as you listen to the voices going back and forth over what the church's response should be to COVID, look to the word. Read passages like this. Pray for wisdom. And let the Holy Spirit convict you. Scripture is our final authority. And now more than ever, we need to be people enthralled with the word of God. And we need to make sure that as soon as we're able, we're meeting together to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. And so we have confidence because Jesus, our great high priest, died and rose again. We need to be living in light of that. We need to draw near to God. We need to cling to our hope, and we need to be together encouraging one another and stirring one another up to love and good works. If we do these things, we're well on our way to being the people we are called to be. It's not easy. It's not convenient. It's not popular. And those things will only become more true as time moves forward, but it is worth it. And uh, I would just want to read this whole passage once more uh, as we close, because personally for me, it gets better every single time I read it, and I hope it does for you as well. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your infallible word. Thank you for passages like this that Remind us that we have been given confidence because of your sacrifice. The sacrifice of your son. We have confidence to approach the God of the universe. The creator and sustainer of all things. The one who gives us every single breath. We have confidence to approach that God anytime we need to, for any reason. confident that you will hear us, Lord. And God, so would we never forget that? Would we not take that for granted? But instead, would we continually draw near to you, 